Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. You probably know that Audible.com is a leading provider of audiobooks. Uh, they have thousands of titles to choose from, but you may not know everything else that they offer. So we are providing you with a free trial. You can go to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth and explore on your own, see what's there. I think you're going to be uh, pleasantly surprised. Over the years, the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast has uh, continued to enjoy inclusion on lists of the best podcasts to listen to for business, for sales, leadership. Uh, we've really been fortunate to uh, show up in an awful lot of places. And that is uh, because of the guests. These are folks who have expertise in particular areas of business, and they join me to share that expertise with all of you. So you can get answers, you can get ideas, you can find things you can implement in your business so that you can um, have better results, be more successful, happier, and all of that good stuff. Uh, today is no different. My guest today is Claire Chandler. Claire helps growing organizations attract and retain the right talent to accomplish their mission. She leverages over 25 years of experience in business leadership, human resources, and communications to boost leadership alignment and effectiveness. She holds a certificate in strategic HR leadership from Cornell, a master's degree from NJIT, and a bachelor's degree from Fairfield University. She is also the author of The Whirlpool Effect. Thanks so much for joining me today, Claire. Thanks, Diane, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I want to start with, so, so we're talking about this thing that, that you call um, a builder's market. And so just to start off the bat, will you um, help us understand the distinction between a buyer's market and a builder's market, please? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, the, the, the post-COVID, um, and, and I'm, I'm being optimistic to say the post-COVID, COVID uh, <laughs> market, right? Because we are starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you know, however, COVID may coexist with us for a while. I think businesses are 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 starting to emerge from their their hibernations or their you know their self-imposed uh, uh, isolation, etc. And part of what we are seeing, um, unfortunately, is rising unemployment. We have we have been. Um, very blessed, I think, with a with a very low, historically low, unemployment rate um, pre-COVID, and now, of course, the unemployment is climbing um, as companies have have had to make you know very difficult decisions, um, you know, just to just to survive, uh, you know, let alone come out of this stronger. 
Um, and so with the rising unemployment, a lot of companies look at that market of um, available talent and they classify it as a, as a buyer's market, right? The supply and demand um, kind of a thing. And I would challenge companies to shift their perspective um, toward that candidate pool as a builder's market. And the reason I say that is because, you know, you, you can look at this uh, situation that we are in and the economy that we are in right now as a buyer's market from a standpoint of renegotiating agreements with suppliers and vendors and partners and trying to uh, you know, make your cash flow more efficient and your spending more efficient. And that's all well and good. When it comes to candidates though, that you wanna add to your team, the, the smart companies, the smart leaders are looking at this as a builder's market and saying, we're not just gonna scoop up talent that's out there because the supply is so high we are going to be that much more strategic about who we add to our team and make sure that each of those people is the right fit for where we are trying to go as an organization. So it's a very different lens through which to look at the unemployment market and the candidate market um, as a, you know, from the eyes of a builder as opposed to a buyer. I say. Okay, so is there a process then that they go through to figure out where they need to be adding or, or you know, what they're looking for in, a, in the right talent? Yes, absolutely. And so you know, every, every company that I work with um, and, and COVID, you know, the, the impact of COVID um, doesn't change my initial focus with any, any company I work with. We always start with getting really, really clear on what that company's mission is. Mm -hmm. And when I say mission, a lot of companies, uh, their, their reflexive reaction is, oh, we've got that covered. We've got a mission statement out on our website, <laughs> right? And, and a mission yeah. statement um, too often, unfortunately, is so far afield from a company's actual mission that companies forget what their, you know, what their purpose is, why they are in business to begin with, what they are all about, what they are looking to achieve long term. And so it is really important, um, especially coming out of the COVID uh, impacted, you know, life as we know it, to revisit, reconnect, redefine, um, or, or craft from, from, you know, square one, what your company's mission is. You have to get that right. Um, I, I truly, truly believe that the mission is the springboard for everything else. It's the filter through which you should be looking at um, your business decisions, your hiring decisions, your spending decisions. Um, and, and so when we talk about that in the context of candidates and who to add, the, the clearer you are in your mission, the easier you can then say, okay, now that we, we know we're all aligned on what that mission is, at least from the, you know, the top levels of leadership, now let's take a fresh look at, are we structured the right way to achieve that mission? Do we have the right people in the right roles with the right skills and the right motivations, right? And so the, that clarity around mission um, is so fundamental and it's so foundational to any business, regardless of the stage of its evolution, whether they are just starting up, they're transitioning from um, you know, one phase to another in its evolution, that mission clarity should determine who you hire, where you hire, how you hire, and, and, and how you put those skills to use in your organization. Okay, so, so then that feels to me like, um, uh, like a couple things come to mind. The first one is that oddly enough, this whole pandemic situation may be providing some companies with an opportunity to reframe, to say, you know, maybe this was our mission, maybe we were clear on it, but here's where we want to go, or maybe, you know, we weren't, we have this thing up on the website that this is really, well, what 
you know, our purpose and, and why we're here. And then it also sounds to me like not only are they defining what they're looking for in gaining talent, but that they're reevaluating the talent they have. 100% right. Um, and, and so if we kind of break both of those down, um, you know, the, the opportunity to reframe, um, I, you know, I, I'm an internal optimist. So when I, you know, we're, we're in a global pandemic, which no one has ever been through before. Um, you know, you, you have to harken back to, you know, the, the, the great flu epidemic of, of 1918 for anything that came close, right? Yeah. Um, but this is something that is truly a globally shared experience, a globally shared challenge. Um, and you're absolutely right. It is now an opportunity for companies to reframe. Um, many companies, most companies, have had to make those difficult decisions of, of where to pare back, where to prune, um, you know, not just employees, which was the unfortunate outcome of a lot of that, um, but where they had to scale back on, um, you know, growth plans or spending or investment, et cetera. Um, so it's a, it really is a great, great time to reframe your organization and say, um, you know, we, we've been sort of just, you know, moving along in a really good economy up until COVID um, and didn't stop to reevaluate, are we, st are, are we on the right path? Do we have the right people? Do we have a uh, full buy-in to the mission? Is it the right mission? And therefore, do we have the right team uh, to enable that mission? Do we are we serving the right customers to help advance our mission? So there, there is a huge opportunity to, you know, to kind of reframe um, that, you know, th this sort of um, catastrophic event, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm based in New Jersey and Superstorm Sandy struck in 2012. And it, it had a similar type of impact, not on a global scale, obviously, but um, on a, you know, on a very deep scale in terms of wiping out businesses and homes and roads and, you know, the, the kind of little life as we knew it, um, you know, those of us who were in the path, but it also was an opportunity to, to wipe the slate clean. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but in that, you know, in that way of here's your opportunity to, to reframe, to rebuild, um, you know, and, and to refocus. And to your point, the second part of, of what you highlighted is, is also very true. The clearer you are on your mission, um, and, and you know, well, like you just highlighted, now is a, is a great opportunity to, to get clear um, you know, and, to, and to sort of reintroduce yourself to that mission. Um, the, the clearer you are on your mission, the easier it will be to see um, you know, what employees uh, passions and talents and skills connect with that mission and, and can advance it. And the flip side is the clearer you are about your mission, the clearer you communicate it, the clearer you reinforce it, um, you know, through, through both communication and actions, the, the, the more readily employees who don't connect with that mission will self-select out, mm. right? So, yeah. and, and that of course is not, you know, there's, there's no silver bullet, right? So it's not like, oh, so all we have to do is clarify our mission and all the bad seeds will walk out the door, <laughs> right? It's not, it's of course never that simple, but the, the clearer you are in your convictions, right? Um, the, and and uh, the, the more uh, clearly you, you know, you communicate, you, uh, you, you show what you will tolerate, what you will not tolerate, some component of those employees will self-select out and the others, it's going to be a lot easier for you to um, give them corrective feedback because their behavior, their performance, their skill set either aligns with where you're trying to take your company or it does not. Yeah. Wow, it's so interesting because we're in such an interesting time. You know, this is why, I mean, the conversation would be important anyway because talent, it, it would have been a different conversation, right? When the economy was so good and unemployment was so low, we would have been having, you know, potentially a different conversation about this. But, right, oh. that's right. Well, yeah. and, it, and it, right, because going into, into COVID, we were still on this, 
um, you know, this mantra of the war for talent. Um, right. right. And so now it's like, oh, we've got, we've got plenty of people to choose from. Um, you do and you don't, right? Because you don't want, um, you want the right talent. You don't want yeah. just the available talent. You want the right talent. And, you know, one of, one of my sort of soapbox statements is also the, the people that you have right now that, you know, if your mission is not clear and you just took your, your employee population and you said, I'm going to put them into three buckets, right? A players, B players, and C players. Well, if you're not crystal clear on your mission, the people that you currently think are your superstars, your top performers, your A players, may in fact not be the A players once you clarify where you want to go. Um, you know, right. and, and vice versa, right? The, the ones that right. are kind of in the middle, the ones that are more of the, you know, the, the marginalized, the disengaged, whatever, are they disengaged because they don't get it or they're disengaged because they don't get you? Right. Right? Yeah, you don't know. Right, right. That's really interesting. Okay, talk to me some about onboarding and the role it plays in keeping good talent. Yeah, so I'm going to say, you know, onboarding of, of new people is going to be even more critical, and I'm going to come back to that. But here's another opportunity that the, the smart companies are going to seize and they're starting to seize right now, which is to re-onboard every member of their organization. A lot of oh. companies, right? So, so a lot of companies had a forced pivot to not showing up in an office every day, learning how to work remotely and still be productive, learning how to collaborate through technology. I'm actually finding with a lot of uh, companies I talk to that they are seeing collaboration increase as a matter of fact, um, even though people are remote. Um, oh, so that's kind that's of interesting. interesting. But yeah, so, but the, but the re-onboarding, you know, here's a, here's a golden opportunity. Um, you know, again, for if, if this type of a pandemic, this type of a situation wipes the slate clean in terms of it really forced you to um, scale back, become efficient, cut out what didn't work, um, now you've got an opportunity to, to rebuild from the platform of your existing organization and say, welcome back, but welcome to the, the, the new company, right? This is our mission. Even if it's the same mission, even if you have reevaluated it and decided it, it stood the test of time at weather the storm, it's still going to be our mission. When's the last time you really introduced or connected that mission to the, the, you know, the people that you have in your organization, the roles that they play, the contributions that they make to move the needle toward achieving that mission. So reboarding is an opportunity that smart organizations should not miss, right? Um, wow. And then of course, in addition to that is the onboarding of, of anybody new. And you know, I realize there are a lot of companies that are struggling with, um, with vacancies right now, and there's this, this urgency to, to fill slots. Um, and again, I would say to those organizations, listen, the work has to get done and, and there are certain urgent hiring needs, but make sure that you do that very necessary first step of clarifying you know, who you are, what you're all about, why you exist. And I, you know, it, it sounds like I'm beating a dead horse, but I can't emphasize that enough because, and it doesn't have to take a lot of time. I've worked with, you know, companies where we can get together for one day and get that mission really nailed down mm. so that it guides decisions, right? It doesn't have to set people back for weeks or months or a year or what have you, but it's such important foundational work before you add one more person to your team. And it feels like, um, it's so fun. I'm so glad you said it doesn't have to take a lot of time because I think that's part of the reason people don't do it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's well. And, and, you know, the, the other thing too is we get tunnel vision, right? So yeah. um, e even with all that's going on and, and the impact that the pandemic has had and everything um, we can, you know, we can't see through our own forest as individuals, as entrepreneurs, as small businesses, as large businesses, the, the longer the leadership is in place, um, the easier it is just to sort of defend the status quo um, to the death, 
right? right? <laughs> and, uh, and, it's, and it's hard to lift yourself out of that and look at it objectively, which is why, um, you know, a lot of companies do look for somebody like me, somebody like other people to come in from the outside that has no emotional attachment to your mission, but is deeply emotionally connected to the essential nature of having the right mission, right? Um, but right. kind of pull that out of, of people. You know, I, I have never worked with a company and developed a mission that I created for them. It's always about pulling it out of them and distilling, you know, from what makes them great, what makes them successful and what drives them forward. Um, you know, that are the crucial elements to uh, a well-crafted, very clearly defined, understood and embraced mission. Right. I'm going to take a quick sponsor break and then I have some more questions for you. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have thousands of titles to choose from, as well as podcasts, audible originals, guided meditations, and more. One of my favorite audiobooks is Everyone Deserves a Great Manager by Scott Miller. For me, I love being able to listen to it anywhere and across my devices without losing my place. And I think you will too. So visit audibletrial.com businessgrowth to explore the variety of audiobooks and programs for yourself. Okay. And, and it feels like um, a, a lot of how successful they are in this has to do with their culture, you know, the company culture. So have you seen shifts in company culture since uh, the pandemic? Um, I would have to say I've seen the amplification of culture um, oh. as a result of the pandemic um, in, in, in good ways and in bad ways. Right. So if you're a company that, um, you know, ha like I said before, we have been very fortunate that we have had a very stable, strong economy, um, you know, for, for several years now. Yeah. So if this is the first, you know, if, if, if there are companies that, um, you know, businesses that are, that are kind of listening to this and they're relatively young, such that this is really the first large-scale crisis they've come up against, um, you know, they have gone through a reckoning, right? And it's already happened because we've been going through this pandemic for months now. But, you know, they, they've sort of discovered very quickly, um, were they lucky or were they good, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. So, um, and, and it's not just the, the small companies that fall victim to that or the young companies, um, the, the big companies, you know, it, it could take a, a one leg out from under them. Um, and so, you know, I, I have seen companies that, um, for example, I, 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 I've been working with a company that wanted to put in place a telecommuting policy. Um, and they wanted to be able to shift to, you know, people having flexible work arrangements and what's that going to look like. And they kept, um, the, the leadership at the top kept talking themselves out of implementing it. And this was, you know, Q4 of last year. And they said, I, you know, I don't know if we're ready. We need a lot of training. You know, the managers don't know how to manage people remotely. There's a lot involved. Well, hello, COVID, right? So <laughs> forced, <laughs> forced the implementation of the practice of working from home and being flexible and all of that. Um, but because they were sort of in this decision paralysis, um, you know, they, they were not ready with the policy. They were not ready with um, supporting their, you know, their managers who, um, you know, I have seen struggle the most, right? So it's not the top leadership that has struggled the most. It's not the individual contributors that have struggled the most through this pivot. It's the managers in the middle that have um, still uh, are, are still required to meet certain expectations, but now also have to manage their people without seeing them every day, and that requires a very special skill set. Um, and so, if the if the leadership at the top, um, you know, isn't isn't quite ready, this forced pivot didn't all of a sudden give them the skill set. It it forced the move that they were reluctant to make, and it really shone a light on. Um, you know, where their decision-making is bogged down. Um, you know, I, 
I firmly wholeheartedly believe that the biggest impact on a company's culture is the behavior of its leaders from yeah. the top down. Right. Um, yeah. A lot of people think, well, it's the employees who make the culture and it kind of bubbles up organically. Um, it does and it doesn't. Right. So it's really your employees are watching what gets incentivized, what gets rewarded, what gets tolerated, and they act accordingly. So if the senior leadership doesn't know how to make an effective decision, doesn't know how to make a decision that ties back to a mission, and doesn't really know what that mission is in the first place, which is the reason why their, you know, their decision-making is so bottlenecked, um, you know, they're, they're not going to be as agile and as versatile and as flexible coming through a crisis like this. Right. And so then the employees sort of create their own way to move forward. By necessity. Absolutely. Right. And, you know, and the other interesting thing that happens is, you know, I, I said that this pivot has, has more amplified culture than really changed it. Um, I'm seeing some companies that are so pleasantly surprised at how, uh, how much more efficient they have become because of the forced pivot, um, how much happier and more engaged and more productive their employees are to the point where they're saying, you know, we, we hadn't really thought we were ready to kind of switch or evolve to a, uh, to a sort of flexible working scenario. This has proven to us that we can do it to the point where, you know, we're not going to go back entirely to nine to five, Monday through Friday, you've got to be in the office. Whereas other companies are saying, you know, I'm not convinced that this pivot to flexible working, working from home, et cetera, um, is making our employees more productive. In fact, you know, I, I suspect, you know, this is executive leaders talking, I suspect that they are not working as hard as they, as they should be. And so that's an that is an amplification of a culture that is not based on trust, yeah. not based on empowerment, that is not based on, um, you know, clear expectations because, you know, my, my, my response to that was, well, you, you will be able to tell how productive they are by you've set expectations and they've met them in terms of, you know, the outcomes you need them to achieve every day, every week, every month. So if you're fuzzy on what they're doing, then you weren't clear to begin with on what their role is. Right. You know, and that's a problem that, that, uh, as a, a colleague of mine said last week, you know, the fish stinks from the head, right? Yeah. So that's a problem that trickles down from the top, doesn't bubble up from the bottom. Nope. So <laughs> true. Oh my gosh. It, uh, on so many levels, right? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Okay. You, you said, you mentioned large companies before. And so, um, I'm, I'm curious about how these smaller companies can compete with the larger ones for good candidates in a, you know, in a time like this. Right, right. Um, it's a couple of things. So the, you know, the, the new skill set that this pandemic has really underscored um, is agility and resilience, right? Those yeah. are, from a, from a company perspective, let alone an individual um, talent perspective, those are going to be the two most sought after, um, you know, business essential mission critical skills going forward. And, and, and for a long time, I mean, people are saying, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to fully rebound or recover from this COVID nightmare for, it depends on who you talk to, three years, five years, 10 years, right? right? So those two, um, core competencies of agility and resilience are going to be absolutely mission critical. So, you know, smart companies of any, of any size, at any point in their evolution, um, need to be looking for ways to increase the agility and the resilience of their workforce and their, you know, their business processes, their organization in general, um, and look for ways to assess people that they are evaluating, um, you know, to, to, to add to the team. Um, the degree to which they can, you know, that, that they can uh, demonstrate agility and resilience. Um, and there's, way, you know, there's ways to do that. I mean, I, I you know, use uh, some, some pretty powerful assessment tools with my clients to kind of, um, you know, test for that, if you will. Um, so those are going to be big. 
but you know, you, you, you asked, how does a small company, how does a growing company, um, you know, how does a startup, how does a, a, a family run company compete uh, against the big guys for, for talent and culture going back to that, that's going to be what sells, right? Um, the bigger companies that have very well-known, um, well-loved cultures um, are, are still going to be hard to beat. However, if you're looking through the lens of building um, by adding the right talent as opposed to the best talent, um, there's a distinct yeah. difference there, right? And so yeah. it's still going to come back to um, the, the, the only way you're going to know if you're hiring the right talent is not because they went to a certain school, have a certain number of years of experience, et cetera. It's because you've gotten much, much clearer on your mission than the other guys. And you know that your culture is sound because the leadership at the top is bought into the mission, lives the mission, um, you, you know, uses that as the filter for making better decisions, more efficient decisions, um, you know, setting performance expectations, reinforcing the right behavior, um, you know, all of that. And that's what's going to impact a culture, um, you know, and sort of seep into the culture in a positive way, such that the right employees stay, the wrong employees are filtered out, and your reputation as you know, a, a, a culture, a workplace where I can come in and maybe I've never heard of this company before, but at a smaller company, I have more access to the top leadership, right? There are way few layers of hierarchy, bureaucracy, um, you know, and, and, and talent hoarding um, in a small company. So those are big advantages. And, you know, the, the, the workforce that's, that's coming in now and the workforce that's, um, you know, been uh, sidelined uh, into unemployment and looking for a new opportunity, that's what they're looking for now. They're looking for a company that they can belong to and believe in, um, not necessarily one that's so big that they can build a 35-year career there. So, you know, to me, that's where the smaller companies um, can compete if they are really, really locked into their own identity um, and their own direction, and then can um, you know look for the talent that's going to augment that kind of culture, not the culture that they were trying to get rid of. I see. So really, the best talent is really the talent that fits with your mission, your culture, right? Right. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And, you know, in certain, um, like I said, you know, I, I said agility and resilience. Those are, those are two things that you're going to want to make sure anyone you add into the business, um, you know, can, can demonstrate and has some, you know, has a little bit of, uh, of, of grit and moxie, <laughs> right? Yeah. We're going to relabel those. It's grit and moxie, right? Um, but you know, you, you, you want to add people that can, um, you know, hit the ground running. And I don't mean that from the sense of a lot of employers want plug and play candidates. They want people that they can just sort of hire, set it and forget it, you know, hand them a job description and say, uh, you know, I'll see you for your quarterly review. Right. Um, that's not going to work anymore. Big, you know, big company, small company, um, you know, multinational that doesn't work anymore. Um, you know, employees want to see a link and want to feel a connection between what is important to them and what is important to the company. And the clearer they can see that what they do in their individual role and what they bring in terms of their unique talents um, contribute to forwarding and advancing that mission, that's when you're going to get employees who buy in, who are infectious because of their levels of happiness and engagement and productivity um, you know, and feeling like they're playing to their strengths. And, you know, and, and wouldn't that be great that you get, um, you know, rather than a toxic culture that develops over time with siloed leadership that is, that is really incentivized and motivated by, um, you know, individual achievement of, of, you know, whatever their division or their team is assigned to do. And instead of that, we make infectious, a positive culture where everyone's playing to their strengths, and you know, not everybody's best friends. That's never going to happen. But that they they support each other, 
and they see that they are working together toward a common goal. Right, right. Let's make that kind of culture go viral, right? Yeah, yeah, because it just makes it so, work so much easier for everybody. And, and, it, and it makes leading that type of um, organization from the very top, even to, the, to the, you know, the, the line managers, the people managers, so much easier. Um, you know, leadership management, it's tough. It's, it's not for everyone. And, you know, every, every leader I've ever spoken to has, you know, has shared with me that at some point in their leadership or management, um, you know, uh, uh, ascension, they got to a point where they said, this is just not as fun as I thought it was going to be. Um, <laughs> right. And, and it's, it, it's, you know, I, I kind of liken it to, um, why did you go after a leadership position? Now, some people are forced into it, right? Some people are yeah. just really good individual contributors and they're advanced into management, et cetera. Um, and then you've got these other two buckets of leaders who are um, ambitious or they're aspirational. And if you're an ambitious person, right, that, that it is your ambition to become a leader, you really have to check yourself and say, you know, what is my true motivation? Is it the trappings of leadership or is it the duty that I will have to, um, to mold and shape a culture and to help um, support and advance the careers of the people I'm responsible for. And ambitious leaders tend to follow the trappings, follow the money, if you will. The aspirational leaders, it's not that they've got rose-colored glasses on. It's not that they're naive that, you know, leading people is going to be difficult because, you know, hey, if we were managing robots, it would be a lot simpler, right? But humans oh. are, um, you know, like Forrest Gump says, or they're a box of chocolates, right? Um, yeah. You never know what you're going to get. So, but, but the aspirational leaders say, um, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to get into that role because I want the higher paycheck and the stock options and the power. I am after the impact. Um, and so, you know, the, the impact, the influence is really what drives an aspirational leader and it's the power and the authority and the trappings that tend to motivate the ambitious leader. Um, and so, mm. you know, again, if they have the biggest impact on, on the workplace culture under them, what is the, you know, the leadership culture, the leadership behavior that you are reinforcing and rewarding? Because um, again, your employees are watching and they're going right. to, um, you, you know, like they say with, uh, with employee recognition, you want to reward and recognize the behavior you want to see repeated. So, you know, which behavior best supports, contributes to and advances your mission? That's what you want to incentivize. And that's how you want to advance leaders. And there are so many leaders not doing that and not realizing that they're incentivizing the behavior they don't want. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, you know, and, and they don't always appreciate or understand the impact they have. You know, I was, I was speaking to a leader once um, after a meeting he had with his, with his direct reports, and this was an executive leader. And his message did not go over well. And, you know, I kind of lingered behind in the meeting and I saw that people were kind of, um, you know, uh, demotivated and felt a little bit devalued by what he said. And so I went in and I talked to him and I said, listen, um, I know this was not your intention, but the message you just delivered in there didn't really go over well. And his response was, it, it, I'm not responsible for how my message is received. Yes, he and is. It, 100% he is. 100% he is. And, and, you know, when leaders have that mentality, these are the same leaders who will say, you know, do what I say, not what I do. They're the same leaders who will say, um, you know, uh, I got to where I am without any sort of development, without any sort of, you know, coaching. So, you know, why, why would I, um, you know, why would I support an investment in that for the for the company and the next layer of leadership. These are, these are leaders, quite frankly, who are ambitious, not necessarily aspirational, and they just don't, um, they don't get it. But the problem is, if you've advanced into that leadership role, and that's your mentality, and that's what you project, and that's what you reward, that's how a culture starts to, you know, the, the tide turns toward the negative, because employees say, okay, I have to act like that if I ever want to get ahead in this company and, and you know and that's and that's a real um that's a real dividing line between um 
you know, leaders who get it and leaders who don't. Right. Right. Wow. Okay. It's so crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, leadership, it's, it's just a whole. It's it, well, it's it, and it's a mixed bag, you know, and you see yeah. leadership and then you describe some people that are in leadership roles and you're like, I hope you're using air quotes when you call them a leader, because that doesn't sound like a leader. Yeah. So, you know, it, it depends on the, on the company, right? So to come back to your really important question about how do small companies compete against the, the bigger companies, culture is going to win out. Um, mission is going to win out. Um, you know, and, and, and they have to be authentic, right? It can't just be kind of going back to the, the, the mission statement concept. It can't be a facade. It can't be this sort of, um, you know, uh, uh, Hollywood set of a Wild West town where there's just really the, you know, the saloon and the general store um, are just propped up by two by fours because it's really only a two-dimensional, um, you know, wall. It can't be a facade. It can't be um, disingenuous because otherwise that's what you're going to attract and you know and that's yeah. what you're going to perpetuate and that kind of a culture is going to implode this this world is not going to um, sustain businesses that operate like that anymore yeah that that's that's interesting because because the workforce really has changed mm-hmm yeah yeah wow that's I mean so how many how many people do you know um, you know, who, who start in a company, spend their entire career in that company and retire and get the gold watch after 30, 40, 50 years. It, it, no. those, are, those are unicorns now. It just doesn't yeah. happen. It just doesn't happen. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? You, you kind of want to refresh the pool now and then and get different ideas and different right. perspectives and your culture is going to evolve. Your mission might evolve. Um, you know, so, so as you had highlighted before, the, the situation we're in right now is an opportunity to, to reframe. Um, that's really what workforces are, are, are looking for. They're looking for ways to make an impact. They're looking for ways to grow. You know, they certainly want to be compensated, um, you know, fairly and, and all of that. I'm not saying money isn't, isn't going to matter to them as an incentive, um, but it doesn't outweigh, um, you know, their, their, their ability to see a visible um, connection between what they bring, um, you know, and, and, and how that affects the company in positive ways. Right. Okay. So now talk to me some about technology, mm. Be, especially because the situation we're in, you know, it's sort of been forced, but do you think and I'll say, you know, not just in the situation we're in, but, but overall, do you think it strengthens or hampers a company's ability to communicate and collaborate? You'd said before that some companies were surprised. Yeah. The lack so, of collaboration. What yeah. Do you think? And, it, and, it, and again, some of that depends on the culture, right? Because if yeah. you have a culture of, of um, you know, mistrust or, or trust is not strong, then the, the longer the employees are separated, um, you know, and working remotely, um, the more that type of culture is, is going to disintegrate, unfortunately. Um, but I haven't seen that to be very pervasive. Um, I've seen more companies, um, you know, kind of, uh, like I said, like th that they are pleasantly surprised at how the technology has, um, you know, first of all, that by, by shifting to remote um, work, that the company didn't, <laughs> didn't self-destruct, right? That it didn't implode. Um, and in fact, employees are happier because you took away their commute. Um, yeah. You took away the, you know, the responsibility to, to punch in at nine and punch out at five. Um, you know, mo most of the companies I've talked to have said our employees are actually working longer hours because they're, you know, they're, they're kind of logging in or, or what have you um, a little bit earlier. Sure, they're taking a little bit more time, you know, here and there during the day to feed their kids or check their homework or do errands or get a prescription or run to the store, whatever it is. But then they're logging on again after dinner and they're doing more work. And again, if you're evaluating their productivity, not by the number of hours they log, but by the outcomes they're producing, um, you know, those companies have been pleasantly surprised. And, you know, the, this, the other kind of pleasant surprise has been that this sort of um, you know, technology like Zoom, like Skype, like Microsoft Teams, WebEx, et cetera, um, have actually increased, I have seen in companies, it has increased the collaboration 
Um, and I think part of that is because um, we had kind of taken for granted working in the same space as other people, right? Yeah. So it's like, well, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll get around to that. I'll see them later when I walk down the hall and we'll, you know, we'll work out this problem together. Well, now they're finding that working remotely, they're more efficient, there's more time, there's more um, distance from the day-to-day -day, um, chit chat, right? Um, and they're able to say, okay, I'm gonna reach out to this, this colleague of mine. Um, we're still gonna chit chat a little bit because we're not just gonna be you know, cold business owners and go, okay, what's the, what's the problem? How do we resolve it? Um, but they're finding that they are reaching out to each other um, with more of a results-driven intent right so they're saying um hey you know when you've got some time let's hop on a on a zoom call and let's work through this latest project um in in, in increased ways than they were doing before um i think what has taken a hit however is while communication is um you know still sort of uh made easy made efficient um you know, through technology, a lot of leaders confuse communication with connection. And mm. I think technology has given them a false sense of, um, you know, con conflating the two. So it, it has become much easier, um, even before COVID, to quote unquote communicate with your employees because you could dash out an email, you can send a text, um, you know, you can hop on a quick a uh, call or a Zoom call or what or or, or whatever, um, but you know the leaders are walking away from that saying, "Okay, I communicated with my team today," um, but they're not necessarily connecting, right? And yeah. so this this phrase um, two way communication um, it, it is a bit of a farce because communication really by its nature is one way, right? You've got one person who's sending a message, the other person's receiving it. Um, you know, unless you're talking over each other, which is not good, not good communication. So, right. So, but but the difference is, I can communicate with you, and I can I can convey an expectation, um, but it doesn't become a connection until it resonates with you. You understand what I'm asking for. You have sought and received the clarity that you needed, and you see a way forward. So, in other words, you see how that connects to, you know, cool. This gives me an opportunity to play to my strengths, to try something new, to, you know, to stretch and challenge myself, et cetera. Um, so connection goes way, way deeper than communication. Um, you can't have connection without communication, but you can have communication without connection. And I think a lot of leaders, um, you know, are, are, are becoming a bit too over-reliant on technology and telling themselves that that's connection. Similar to we're all on Facebook and we think, wow, I'm, I've reconnected with all these people from like my <laughs> grammar school and the first you know, street I ever lived on, but you're not really connected, right? We're just sort of posting things that we want the world to, to believe about us or to know about us, um, but we're not really connecting. Right. So, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, again, with leaders, um, there is a significant difference and, you know, really effective leaders appreciate that difference. And I, I would think <clears throat> listening to that, that if they sought a dialogue mm. instead of a communication, it could help them, you know, make sure that they are connecting. Right. Because they can hear them, you know, they can get the feedback, they can get input, they can, um, confirm that whatever they they are putting out there is actually being picked up. You're you're absolutely right. The, the, the feedback loop um, that yeah. is often missing in communication is so is so essential. You yeah. Know, to, to confirm that you've got clarity, to confirm that there's understanding, um, you know, and and to be open minded to feedback because your employees may give you feedback um, that yes, you you know, you weren't expecting but get you to see things from a different perspective. Right. We always, we always talk a good game about, well, you know, the value of diversity and inclusion is to, you know, bring in other perspectives. But do we actually tap into that? And you don't tap into it if your communication is one way. Yes. Yes, exactly. Wow. Th this is really uh, so fascinating. And I appreciate the information. Um, 
I think, as you and I said earlier, you know, people have a real opportunity now and hopefully they're taking advantage of it. But then after listening to this, really realizing what those opportunities are and, and taking the time because they potentially have it um, to retool and reframe and, and all those things. So Claire, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. You're very welcome. It's been my pleasure. Uh, and I'd always like to thank the listeners, but before I do, speaking of the listeners, will you share with them, you know, how they can find you, whatever you've got going on that um, they should know? Yes, absolutely. Um, the easiest way to connect with me is to go to clairechandler.net, um, and you can learn a little bit more about me and what I do, and if you want to reach out. Um, there are easy ways for you to, to do that. So and there's some, there are some cool resources on there that you can download and try out as well. Cool. Okay. Thank you for that. Okay. And listeners, uh, thank you. You are who we are doing this for. And especially in these crazy times, um, this can uh, be very, things like this are very valuable. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, audible.com. Head on over to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth and sign up for the free trial. Take a look at the content that is there uh, and find stuff that resonates with you and enjoy. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. ¿Por qué esta Coca-Cola de McDonald's sabe tan bien? ¿Será la máquina? ¿Será el popote o el hielo? O quizás soy yo. No sé, Diego, pero vámonos, ¿no? El ¿Por qué esto sabe tan bien, Deal? Un refresco de cualquier tamaño por un dólar. Solo en el $1-$2-$3 menu de McDonald's. Precios y participación pueden variar. No se puede combinar con cualquier otro oferta. Cambo mío, Coca-Cola es una marca registrada de The Coca-Cola Company. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous walrus, the bulbous walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo. For a podcast known to move the needle for investors, Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.